0: This morning we're going to continue through the uh, study in Matthew, and uh, it's good to see you all here. So if you'd turn, be so kind to turn o- <clears throat> over to Matthew chapter 2. But this morning as we turn our hearts to God's Word, as, as Ken read uh, the first um, 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2, uh, you know, you notice that Ken mentioned it in his introductory um, welcome here this morning uh, about how the tide has kind of turned about this all this Christmas mania. Last year it kind of hit a peak and everybody was boycotting everybody and all sorts of things. You know, if they said happy holidays, I'm not going back to that store. And, uh, um, you know, it's not completely uh, turned around, but uh, there's a lot more um, openness to someone saying Merry Christmas. But it's not completely. I, I, there's a news article earlier uh, this uh, Year a little bit uh, in the fall that the the Marine Corps they they collect 50 years of collecting toys for tots and uh, there was a company who donated a uh, bunch of uh, toys but the problem was these toys were they were kind of weird but they were a talking Jesus doll <laughs> and it said you know you push this button on Jesus belly probably or somewhere, I don't know, back of his head or something. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Or he'd say, do unto others if you would have them do unto yourself. So those kind of things. And, and the, the, the Marines said, well, we don't want to offend anybody. So they rejected all these toys, um, 4,000 actually, brand new toys that they were uh, supposed to go to children all over the world. And so they, they turned them down. And so you know the, 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 all the political correctness isn't totally turned around. But you know what? How do we expect a non-Christian culture um to recognize the value of the christmas season i mean why do we expect them to understand if, if they don't know the lord if they haven't come into that personal relationship for those who don't know the lord jesus as their savior christmas has a completely kind of different meaning you might say it's just about snow and tinsel and toys and chestnuts on an open fire and all that stuff um You know, and it's hard to appreciate the fullness of the Christmas time. But, you know, we can make a decision right here and now. Either we can look at all that's wrong with Christmas. We can sit around and mope and say, oh, it's so commercialized and, you know, all that stuff. And we can complain about all those who don't get it and boycott the stores and all sorts of things that say happy happy holidays and all those kind of things. You can pick at schools who won't allow the, you know, Jesus in the winter pageant and all that stuff. You know, Or you can turn the whole attention, all that negative kind of focus, turn it around and turn it to Jesus Christ. The one whom Christmas is all about. Um, we can celebrate his birth. We can sing carols of joy. You know, I love this time of year because, you know, you turn on the radio and you hear, you know, wonderful Christmas hymns being sung. And there's deep spiritual truth in those songs. And yet, you know, probably the the normal person hearing them who's not a believer doesn't get it. But you know what? It's bringing glory and honor to God. And it's really my favorite time of year. Not just because we get some gifts and get to decorate and all that stuff. And I know that's a stressful time. Everybody here's stress level is probably notched up a little bit. You're probably here sitting right here this morning thinking, how long is he going to talk this morning? Because i got a million things to do. i got to shop in. i got to put the turkey in the from the freezer to the fridge or whatever. I mean, you've probably got a million things on your mind. And I, I just pray that somehow God will give you the grace this morning to kind of just close off the next maybe 30 minutes of this time together. That we can look into God's Word and, and see what it has to say about these wise men who came. You know, when, when you hear of... All this stuff, you know, Frosty and Rudolph and all that, you know, I, those are my favorite two probably Christmas uh, cartoon things on, on, on TV. And it just brings back memories for me. I don't know why. Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know, and the thing I remember about Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and I don't even know if they still have them, I missed it this year, but they they had commercials. And it was usually the Norelco commercials, you remember? And the little guy skiing through the snow on his little shaver. I just thought that was was little, I mean, when this happened. But that stuck with me. And I just remember that. That's the one thing, it's kind of sad, but of of Christmas that pops into my mind. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman. Those two little shows. And, you know, we can focus on all that kind of stuff. Or we can tend to say, you know what, when we stop and we really focus on the gift that God has given us through His Son. I mean, it's the greatest gift that you could ever give in the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a message of hope. That's a message that you can hold on to, that you can take to the bank. That God sent His Son so that we wouldn't have to die in our sin. We sang that song, Come Thou Fount. I was lost in my sin. Lord, I'm prone to wander. All those verses speak right to the heart of man. Because our hearts are dark. Our hearts are filled with sin. Our hearts are a great disappointment to God. And God didn't want the story to end that way. He provided a way out. He provided salvation through His Son. I recently read a story about a, it's in the news, you may have seen it, I, I heard it on uh, Fox News too. But there's a little village in Rattenberg, Austria. And this little village is located about 3,000 feet, or, or it's right behind this 3,000 foot high mountain. And over there, you know, there's, in the wintertime there's not a lot of sunlight anyway. But this, this range, this mountain range, for three months of the year blocks the sunlight from this little village, it's just dark. That's how far down in this little valley it is. And it's subject, this town is subject to darkness from November to February. It's just like having one real long night. Some of you are saying, oh man, that'd be nice just sleep. You know? <laughs> and what they did is they came up with this innovative technology, and they just actually put it in place, I believe, I saw on the news the other day, where they came up with a solution to bring sunshine to this community. They said, these people shouldn't have to live three months out of the, 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 uh, the year with in total darkness while everybody else enjoys the sunlight. So they built this huge panel of mirrors. This is a true story. That receives light from the sunny side of the mountain and it reflects it down into this dark village. And now they have light on those three months of the year. It's an amazing thing they did. You know, and I started thinking about that, and I thought, you know what? That's what our job as believers is around Christmas time. We're like that mirror. See, God sent His light into the world, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, but some can't see it. They just can't see it. They're blinded. They live in darkness. We see them all around us every day. And you know what? We who have experienced God's light, God's love, we need to reflect His light to others so that they can see it so they can see the, the glory of this holiday time of Christmas time. That's why I just don't want to talk about everything that's wrong with Christmas time. We know that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th I mean any any person who knows anything knows that. So what? It's a wonderful time to end the year. It's a great way at the end of the year to, to magnify the birth of God's only Son. How do we do that? I think we do it just like the Christmas carol tells us. Oh, come, let us adore him. We have to be willing to come and adore the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be willing to come and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We look at our text and we see these wise men now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the times, days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. I stopped right there and I thought, you know what? Paul has something to say about wise men. So I looked up 1 Corinthians 1.26. And Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians one twenty-six, he's writing to the church at Corinth there, he says, not many wise, talking about by human standards, not many who are influential, Not many of noble birth have been chosen by God to know Christ. But he goes on, he says, the lowly. And yet these men were wise men. And, you know, I love the story that that, that we read about it. They they were apparently some form of Persian astronomers of the day. And this Christmas story really kind of is the is the other side of 1 Corinthians one twenty six? It doesn't say that God won't choose any wise. God's not going to reveal the truth to any wise man. No, He doesn't say that. He says some may. And that's what these Persians were. They came bearing gifts, it says. And apparently they were pretty influential in their own, in their own society because it said they came from the east. They came to Jerusalem. And they started asking questions. Where is he who is born king of the Jews for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And look at what happens when they hear about these this big entourage coming. Now we don't know if there was 3 of these guys or not. That's what we think. That's what a lot of people believe. Well, there's 3 because there's 3 gifts. But we don't know. It's not important. That's not where the focus is. Doesn't say how many there were. Could have been 50. Who knows? But they did bring these three gifts that we're going to talk about. And they followed this star. Some people say, well, what is that? You know, some theologians believe that could be the Shekinah glory of God. Remember in the Old Testament how he led them around? You know, with the, the pillar of fire and the... Could have been that. Because what else would explain it leading them to Jerusalem and then afterwards kind of lead them another way out of, to, to kind of escape and not go back to Herod? Something that had to move around quite a bit there. So it could have been this kind of glory of God that that came down on the birth of his son. Now, it says there when they came upon Jesus that he wasn't still in the manger. (laughs) Okay, He was most likely in the house at this time. And he probably was a couple years old. So this process took a little while for them to kind of search this thing out and decide that, hey, you know what? Uh, we need to really follow God's leading here and do what is the right thing. Jump down to verses 9 and 10. Because it says these wise men, it says when they heard the king, they departed. After he said, the king said, oh, you know, I want to worship him too. Let me know where he's at. Of course, that wasn't his real motive. It says, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. You know, the one thing these guys did is they were able to rejoice in the, the moment. They looked at this situation. Now, obviously, it had been a, probably a long trip for them. They came, and, and you know what? But when, when God revealed the truth, they, they rejoiced. With great joy, it says. I think sometimes we need to stop looking around and and crying bah humbug at every little Christmas tree we see or every little Christmas light and stop and say, you know what? Praise God that we can look at these lights and we can look at these things and say, you know what, this is because of the birth of of God's Son, Jesus Christ. That's why we do this. We're not here to worship the the, the reef or the the, the tree or that. has nothing to do with it. But it's a symbol of God's light to so many. And it should, as Christians, we should rejoice in that. And I know some people have major problems with that kind of stuff. But that's okay. You know, my word to them is get over it. You know, I mean, use this time as a time of the year to share the love of Christ with those who have yet to hear. Recognize them. Those symbols, those lights, whatever it may be, stars, whatever, that you see hanging on houses, say, praise God, this reminds me of Christ. I think that's a real sign of, of somebody who can, can, can take maybe what was intended for bad and turn it around and say, you know what? God can use this for good. Well, I don't know about you, but I've, I've even listened, since I've been a believer, I've listened to some secular songs even a couple songs by chicago there's one i think called searching or something like that i've been searching so long i listen to this guy's and, you know he's probably a pagan i don't know who this guy is that wrote the song but i listen to this song and i'm thinking man there's so many spiritual implications that this guy probably doesn't even realize but because i'm a believer and i see things through a different light All of a sudden, all these light bulbs come on and you you can say, wow, that's really neat. Or you hear a love song and you think, wow, he's probably talking about his girlfriend, but you know what? That relates between me and Christ. There's so many times that we can do that. When you really stop and you look at all these symbols that surround us, there's a lot of things that we can really see Christ in. Christmas tree itself, it stays green for several years at a time. A lot of people say, hey, you know what? That depicts eternal life. The wreath sometimes symbolizes the never-ending love of God. You can look at it that way. You say, well, that's kind of crazy. Well, it may be. But you can either sit there and mope at the stuff, or you can turn it around and say, hey, you know what? Let's turn this, even a candy cane. You know, you've all probably read the little story about the candy cane. I mean, that's amazing. Shepherd's staff. Somebody says, you turn it upside down, it becomes a J. You know, it's, oh, that's kind of weird. Why would you say that? Well, you know, there's people out there that say all sorts of things. Take this letter or this word, move it here, and then all of a sudden, you know, Santa becomes Satan. Oh! I mean, that's not proper theology. It's just not. It's just kind of crazy to me. I'm not saying that the whole Santa thing is a good thing and, hey, go for it, lie to your kids. And I'm I'm not going to go there. But, you know, sometimes we just get a little overboard on these things and we need to relax and we need to turn them around and say, you know what, let's see the goodness in some of these things. And remember the fact that we're here to worship Jesus. That's, that's the whole purpose. And some people say, well, yeah, but it's not just at Christmas time. It's, it's every day of the year you should be. Well, yeah, sure. But who, who of us does that 100% of the time? Come on. Let's be honest. We don't do that. I mean, we strive to. We long to. But you know what? Sometimes we do things that totally dishonor God. I don't think we're worshiping Him then. And we need to remember that we're here to worship Christ. We sang that song this morning, Here I Am to Worship. One reason I included that in the the set this morning is, is because it does tell the Christmas story. I mean, without singing it, just listen. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're altogether worthy, you're altogether lovely, altogether wonderful to me, King of all days, so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above, humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether worthy, altogether lovely, altogether wonderful for me. You know what? That depicts the story of these wise men. It really does. These magi from the east coming and worshiping and bowing down at the feet of Christ. Let's remember what Christmas is about. It's not just about decorations and candy canes and Santa and all that other stuff. That's why we call it Christmas, <laughs> Christmas. Let's remember to worship Jesus. You know, as I was preparing this, I started thinking, do I worship Jesus the way I should? Do I worship Jesus the way? And I stopped and I said, well, yeah, I do. I mean, I, you know, try to serve him, try to do it with a pure heart. Try to do work for Him, you know, that He's called me to do so I believe. And, and you know, I try to talk to Him, I try to sing about Him, I try to sometimes write about Him, different things. And I stopped and I thought, you know what, that's not enough. Do Do I really worship Him? Do I come humbly before the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and bow down? And rather than trying to be busy in ministry and doing all this other stuff, do I just lay at His feet and worship Him. I come up short in that area, to be honest. I mean, if I can sit still for five minutes, I'm doing pretty good, you know. So it's hard. But you know what? That's what God wants us to do. God wants us to come before Him and let's remember this Christmas to worship Him before we get caught up in all the hustle bustle and all that and, and you say, well, maybe it's, it's it's over. You know, I got all my shopping done. It's just beginning. You know, like Ken said, man, there's sales after sales and there's dinners and parties to go to these next couple days. You're going to be very busy, most of you. Some of you may not be busy at all. Some of you may be in a home all by yourself, lonely. You know, I choose to look at that as almost a blessing in disguise. That you have an opportunity to sit down with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and and just fellowship with Him without any distractions whatsoever. To worship Him. To honor Him with your presence. With your time. When we sing Silent Night, or Away in a Manger, or Hark the Herald Angels Sing, or Joy to the World, let's direct our thoughts to the One who was born, King of the... The Jews, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Let's put aside all the personal preferences and all that stuff, and and put aside the ideas that what am I going to get out of this service? Hope the music's good. It doesn't matter. We're here to worship Christ. That's why we're here. Which says they presented him with gifts. This is kind of interesting. Because they brought three gifts, it says. Like I said, they were guided there by the the star, and a lot of people believe that the star was nothing other than the Shekinah glory of God. You notice that the three gifts that they brought, this is kind of an interesting portion of this, this, this scripture. The first one, it says that they, they brought to him gold. They presented to him gold. Gold is a medal for kings. Gold isn't something that you just kind of, you know, uh, throw around without any meaning. Gold is valuable. Even our society today, it's a valuable medal. But it's the medal of kings. And when gold was presented to Jesus, by the men of Persia, it was really their acknowledgement of his right to rule as king of the Jews. William Barclay notes the distinguished Roman orator and, and, and writer Seneca said it was a custom in Persia that no one could approach a king without a gift and that gold was the king of metals, it was the proper gift for the king of men. And you know what? We know that because archaeologists, when they discover certain uh, places or digging up thing who was who somebody was deceased or whatever, and they find gold in the casket, they they immediately say this this was somebody significant. And you can go down through history, King Tut, and other places. and There's just you know sometimes tons of gold in these in these tombs and it signifies the greatness of the person buried i think god had a practical side to these wise men bringing mary and joseph and baby jesus gold you stop and you think about it they were just about ready to head out on a trip right They were getting ready to go on a trip. They didn't know it at the time, but God was going to have them uh, go into Egypt so that they could uh, avoid Herod killing all the children. And I think God may have provided for their trip through this gold that was brought, which speaks of God always providing for our needs, even though when we don't know the need is there yet, God meets us right where we're at, and He provides that need for us. The wise men confessed his kingship by bringing the gift of gold. Secondly, they brought frankincense or incense. And this speaks of the worship of God. It's easy to see why this incense, this frankincense, was a significant, a symbolic gift. Um, as you, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but on Wednesday nights, uh, we, before our break, we were going through the book of Leviticus. And we were going through the different sacrifices that people would offer. And we talked about the idea that a lot of them had incense involved. That it was basically a, something that was mixed with oil and it was used as the, 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 the priest would anoint certain things in Israel. And it was blended with the meal offerings that we learned. And it was also presented to the priest by the people to be offered in the thanksgiving and the praise gifts to God, the praise offerings. And this incense gave the sacrifice kind of a pleasant odor. And that's probably what Paul was thinking about in Philippians 4.18 when he says a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And in presenting these incense, the wise men, either intentionally or unintentionally, we don't know, they pointed to Christ as our great high priest. The one whose entire life was pleasing to his Father. The interesting thing, when we were going through Leviticus, we noted that there's one offering that never was mixed with incense or frankincense at all. And that was the sin offering. Only the meal offerings, which were not for sin, contained the incense. And you stop and you think naturally of Jesus to whom the incense was given. And he himself was without sin. Matter of fact, when his enemies come to kind of prove him guilty in John 8, 46, he, he challenged them with a question, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? And they stood there speechless. See, Jesus isn't just somebody who came and was a good teacher and lived a life and died a martyr. That's not who Jesus was. Jesus was the Son of God. He was the gift of God to man, the gift of salvation. And that salvation is available to everybody. The Bible says, whosoever comes to the Lord, whosoever confesses with their mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. I believe that. That incense speaks of the worship of God. And that's what these, these magi came and did. They bowed down and they worshipped this This child. He had come forth from heaven to perform the work of redemption. He was prepared in every way to do the Father's will so that he he would fulfill every demand and every obligation of the law. Thus, he was the only one who was eligible to die for the sins of the world because he was perfect in every way. He was the only candidate because he was without sin. The third gift they brought was myrrh. really signifies a, it's a gift of death. <laughs> you know, if you want to give somebody an interesting gift, give them a little box of myrrh. That would be kind of, <laughs> kind of wake them up a little bit. What are you giving me this for? Really, it was, it was used in embalming folks. And uh, they would wrap the body in, in cloth and they would use these spices or whatever. And all those spices were called myrrh to preserve the body. And it was an important item back then in that society. And you, you remember, for Jesus' burial, Nicodemus used 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes to kind of prepare his body for, for burial. So, I mean, there must have been a lot of this stuff floating around back then. It was constantly bought and sold, funeral arrangements, all that. remember when we went through the study of the churches in Revelation? We looked at the church of Smyrna and we said they, they get that from the, they're they're uh, producing myrrh, Smyrna. That's, that's what they did. They, they, they manufactured a lot of, of myrrh there. It's the chief industry and manufacturer of myrrh in that day. But it would be odd, I would think, to present somebody a gift that's used for embalming, especially at the birth of a child. You'd think, what kind of sicko are you? What do you why do you giving me this? Be like showing up at a a baby shower with a, a gift certificate for, you know, here, all the funeral arrangements are paid for the child. That would just be odd. We don't know exactly if the, the wise men totally understood what they were doing here. But we know that the Old Testament basically pictured Jesus over and over. Again, it's one involving suffering. Psalm 22 describes Jesus' death by crucifixion. It was a verse from this psalm that Jesus quoted that he when He cried out on the cross. Remember, 22.1, uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah 53.45 says, Surely He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered Him stricken by God, smitten by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. See, Jesus came to suffer for our sin. He came to pay the penalty. His suffering really was symbolized by the wise men bringing this gift of myrrh. There's another use in the Bible of of myrrh. You remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, they offered him a kind of a sponge mixed with. It said wine with myrrh, and Jesus refused it. Myrrh was also used kind of as a anesthetic, kind of a to deaden some pain. And Jesus wished to endure the full extent of suffering for his death on his in his death for us. He was willing to bear all that suffering, all that shame, and and he did it because he loved us so much. William Barclay says this, Gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, myrrh for the one that was to die. These were the gifts of the wise men. And even at the cradle of Christ, they foretold that he was to be the true king, the perfected high priest, and in the end, the supreme savior of men. I just want to close with this. We look at these wise men. What makes them so wise? What makes them so wise? Well, obviously, they were very influential. They had held high positions back then. But really, what made them wise practically for us? What would make us wise? Well, first of all, I see that they were wise enough to seek Jesus. God had informed them of the birth of this new Jewish king. We don't know exactly how, but that's what he did. And realizing they weren't far from him, they did the wise thing. They prepared a traveling caravan, and they made their way to the capital city of the Jews. They didn't know if he was there or not. They figured, hey, well, the king of the Jews, he'd probably be at the capital city of the Jews. Let's go. And they got there, and they discovered that his birth was not a common topic of conversation. And they asked people where he was, and they you notice the story doesn't say that the wise men asked their question of Herod first. In fact, they don't really meet him until halfway through their story. So they must have been asking everyone about Jesus, It only came to Herod when their quest reached his ears. They were wise enough to seek Jesus. I want to ask you this question this morning. Are you wise enough to seek Jesus? Are you wise enough to realize that, you know what, you can't do it on your own? His birth has been announced so widely and well, you can't miss it. It's all over. There's no mystery about it. I want to ask you this morning, have you found him? Have you put your faith and trust in the living God, in His Son, Jesus Christ? If you haven't found Him yet, are you still seeking? I pray you are. We see it on mugs, we see it on banners, we see it in little newsletters everywhere. It says, wise men still seek Him. And that's for believers as well. Don't ever grow complacent in your faith. Don't ever grow to the point where you think, oh, I've sought Jesus enough. I've worshipped Jesus enough. I've gotten to a point where I don't need to do that anymore. Beloved, we never get there. Even in heaven, it's one thing we'll be doing. We'll be worshipping the Lamb of God. They were wise enough to seek Him. Secondly, they were wise enough to seek information. There's another way, way these wise men were wise. They were truly wise enough to learn from others. Even though there was a little information to be had about, about the, the people or the leaders or whatever about Jesus, these, these magi in their own country, they were the ones from whom others sought information. They were the ones that people came to in their own country. That's, that's just the status of their position. That's why they were called wise men. If you want wisdom, you go to a wise man. Not a wise guy. Okay, that's somebody different. <laughs> a wise man. Micah 5.2 says, But you, Bethlehem... Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will, you will come for me, one who will be ruler over the Jews. They must have sought that information out and said, okay, somehow we've got we to seek this information and find this king of the Jews that's going to be born. They learned what the scriptures said about him. They learned that Christ was to be born in Bethlehem, a nearby town. They became uh, kind of acquainted with the area and they sought it out. Are we wise enough to seek information about the King of Kings? That's what He wants you to do. He'll reveal Himself to you in a way that only He can. I can't make you believe in Jesus Christ. I can't make Jesus your Savior. And nobody else can either. That's something that God opens our heart. He takes the blinders off our eyes. And He allows us to, to have the gift of repentance. To turn away from our sin and to turn to the cross, to turn to Jesus. That's what he calls us to do. They probably went a couple different places. They probably thought, maybe he's in Herod's palace. The king, he's a king. He went there, he's not there. Well, maybe he's in the temple. Maybe a spiritual leader would be there. They didn't find Jesus in the temple either. They probably went on this search seeking information. Above all, they were able to learn where Jesus was from the Bible. I pray that you're wise enough to find Jesus in the Bible. I pray that you're open enough to the the call of God on your heart to salvation, that you're willing to seek Him. Bible says do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down or who will ascend into the deep that is to bring in bring up Christ from the dead does say the word is near you it is in your mouth and in your heart word of faith we are proclaiming in Romans 10 it says that see Jesus is present in the gospel and whoever calls on him will be saved. That's a promise from God to us. Thirdly, they were wise enough to worship him when they found him. Kind of already touched on this, but this point's very important. See, some people seek, even though they don't want to find truth, they're always seeking truth. But you know what? They don't, they don't want to find it. They really don't. They just want to go on this big rabbit trail. And they they go in circles. (laughs) They're seeking, but they're really not willing to find anything. Paul spoke of these people when he warned Timothy of those who are always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. We've all met people like that. Second Timothy three seven. They're always, you know, just information, just sucking it in, sucking it in. But they missed it. They missed the truth. Some people love unbelief, and they use their accumulating intellectual knowledge to kind of justify it. See, the wise men weren't like this. They weren't like this. They wanted to know about Jesus, but they weren't interested in this knowledge for its own sake. They just want, just didn't want to know the information. They came prepared. They knew when they found Him that they, would, that they would be required to worship Him and to give Him their gifts. And they prepared to do so. I want to ask you this morning, have you found Jesus? I mean, the point of the story is not that we might be entertained by the story of Jesus' birth and all that. I mean, it is entertaining in a way. But the point is that we might find Christ, as the wise men found Christ, and that we might worship him with the fervency and passion that they did, and offer him our gifts. You say, Well, what <laughs> what could I give Jesus? First of all, you could start by giving him yourself. That's really what he wants. Start. place to start is with prayer. Turn to God and say, "You know, Jesus, I don't know yet who you are, but I, but I want to find out. I want to know more about you. I've followed a lot of false leads in my life, and I've gone down a lot of different roads. But something rings true about this message. Something rings true about your name and, and, and the way of salvation that you provided. I need help to find you. I want you to help me, God. Help me find your son. He'll, he'll answer that prayer, beloved. He'll reveal himself to you in a way that only he can. And after you come to him, the first gift we bring is myrrh. It's a symbol of, of Christ's death, but it's also a, can be a symbol of our own our own death. The Bible says when we come to Christ that we have to die to ourselves. It's not about us anymore. We're not on the page anymore. It's all about Jesus. We laid at His feet. Tell Christ, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I should receive punishment for my sin. That's what Your Word says. And I should be cast into hell and utter darkness for eternity as a punishment for my sin. But God, you provided a way out. The Word says that you took my sin on yourself. You died in my place. And I want to believe in that. I want to rejoice in that. I want to ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to be your child forever. And as a symbol of that, I want to bring this gift of myrrh. I want to die to myself. Right here and now. And live for you. Next, the gift of incense symbolizes that worship. We need to worship God. God on a daily basis when Jesus comes into our lives he does an incredible work of transforming us old things are passed away behold all things have become new we need to worship him finally we bring him gold we bow our knee to him knowing that he's our king he's our Lord And we desire to worship Him with our lives. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what these wise men understood. They came and they bowed their knee and they worshipped the Christ child. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word here this morning. Lord, thank You for this time of year that we can gather together And Lord, we just pray that you would uh, do that work in our hearts that only you can do. Father, for for anybody here who has yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them through your word, through your spirit. Lord, however you can, in a way that they'll understand. Lord, you know what's going on in their heart right now you know the burden of sin that they're trying to bear themselves Lord I pray that you would help them to cast that off onto you to turn away from their sin and to turn to God to embrace you as their Lord and Savior Lord and that you would do that work because only you can Father we pray for Christians here this morning that you would send us out from this place with the message of the gospel on our lips that Christ died to set men free from the burden of sin and guilt pain and death that he died in our place willingly a sacrifice that we could never pay he he paid a debt that we could never pay and Lord we thank you for that gift Pray that we would communicate it through our lips and through our lives to those around us. And Lord, we do pray for those in our body who find Christmas time hard to embrace. I know there are many, Lord. It's a difficult time for for a lot of people, just emotionally, relationship-wise, everything. Lord, I pray that your grace would be extended to them. Lord, that you'd minister to them this year in a way that only you can. That would put the focus back on Christ. Give them the joy of their salvation. And Lord, we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.